Another edition of the Behind the You podcast, championship edition with Joaquin Gonzalez. And I don't think you need much introduction, Joaquin, but appreciate you coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. No problem. So we'll start here. When you first heard back in December that Mario took the job, what went through your head? Again, I was elated. I mean, for me, it wasn't when I heard that he took the job, more so the actual process itself. I think coming back to Miami and calling this my home, you know, being close to the program as I was, I've seen, you know, all the iterations that we've had in the past. So when it was time to move on from our prior coach and start looking for who would be the next leader at the University of Miami, there was no doubt in my mind that person was uh, was Mario. And, uh, you know, I think uh, said in a couple of times in some interviews and, and even on my Twitter page was that if Miami didn't try to go out and hire Mario as its first candidate. And even if he turned us down, but if they didn't try to get him first, I think that the process wouldn't have been, you know, the process wouldn't have, have been a great process because that that was by far, those that know how Mario is, know what he's all about, understand him and what what was lacking in our program over the last 15, you know, 20 years since we've been really good around here. It was just a perfect fit. Uh, a lot of people talked about, you know, all of the other things besides just what's on the field, uh, you know, in terms of support, back-end systems for the program, and it would be hard to get them out of Oregon, but we had to try. I'm happy we did. Obviously, anyone that knows you knows you're a huge supporter of Mario, and, and it's not hard to see why now that you're around him, but, but why, maybe you can elaborate on those feelings, right? Why he was the perfect fit, why you believed in him so much, what he is given to the program from what you knew from going back, you know, when he was a GA or even your relationship prior, knowing him through your Columbus ties. There's just certain people in everybody's lives. And this is not, this has nothing to do with football. I mean, there's just certain people in each of our lives, whether it's a cousin of yours, a brother of yours, or a really good friend that kind of highlight your life that have been, you know, that have an influence over, things you do and, and you meet this person on your path as you grow, you know, it could be the, the most random thing. It could be just there. They have nothing to do with what your task is at hand. So it could be a coach, but all of a sudden you're now in the workforce and you could still remember the lessons that this coach taught you uh, and you still apply them to this day. So we all individually have these pillars or the, you know, of our own character and our compass. And when I look back at my own life, whether it be professionally playing football, there's still lessons that I learned from not only Mario, but Alex Mirabal that I still live by these days. So obviously I'm close to Mario. I'm extremely biased, but I think the bias is, is against guys that maybe don't know him as well as I do. Because anybody that gets to know him or now this whole new, I guess, fan base and even people that are close to the program that weren't around when Mario was winning championships down here or weren't around when he was a GA or the tight end coach later on are now getting to know him. And since day one, when he came and did his presser, I mean, the tone in the building has completely changed. He's a no-nonsense guy. To me, it's what he's all about is very simple. Well, you know, a lot of people try to make it difficult. He's a no-nonsense, do the right thing. He's got the guys, you know, I love his, his quote, which is how you do anything is how you do everything. 
because he's a worker, man. He's a guy that really, you know, doesn't spend a lot of time celebrating his victories. I mean, he just kind of gets back to work. And there's there's a lot to be said about that. And in the, the day and age that we live today, everybody likes to coast. Everybody likes to text VIP for, you know, back pass access. And, you know, <laughs> and, and that's not the world that Mario and Alex live by. And, you know, when, when you're trying to win championships and compete at the stage that they're in, there is no shortcut. You could get lucky and we could have a year like we did with Mark Rick, you know, where, wow, we went 10 and, you know, we were competing there. But then it's not sustainable. What what he brings to the table, and I'm glad people are start are getting to now understand what he's all about, is this intensity and this work ethic that, unfortunately, Miami had been lacking for many years. So I've had multiple former players you know, on this podcast, as it's you know it's the school's podcast, and a lot, a lot of them from your time, just because of everything you guys accomplished: Santana Moss, Clinton Portis, Dan Morgan. And the thing that that always blew me away, Joaquin, is from talking to those guys, Antrell Roll, right, was, okay, obviously there's a, there's talent, right? There's a certain level of talent. But the thread through a lot of them and you, and what you and the reason why I bring it up is because what you just said is Dan Morgan in Greg Schiano's office at 5.30 in the morning, you know, watching film. Or this, the belief, Santana Moss was a walk-on, right? But his, his self-belief that he deserved to play or Clinton Portis as a freshman walking into the huddle with the one, right? Ed Reed, I've heard stories used to work out with Swayze. How much of your guys' success, yes, of course you had ability, but that thread of, of work that you just referenced in terms of Mario and how that, you know, kind of he can bring that forward to today. You know, while we were going through our process, while we were living out our years at the University of Miami, we and, and I guess I, I, I get asked this question in kind of in a different context a lot of times, which is, did you guys know you were as good as you were? Absolutely not. We were just trying to do our job to the best of our abilities. We all had chips on our shoulders. A lot of guys were walk-ons, myself included, thought that we deserved better at the time. But once we got into those halls at the head center, we had a great group of men that were leading us. And it wasn't just Mario. Mario was one of the pieces. But, I mean, you look back at the coaching staff back then, and I think uh, I think we counted once when we got together. I was like seven or eight guys have become head coaches, you know, from that staff back from 98 to 2001. So from that point of view, when we came in, it's we had this these people around us that were just dem demanding all of this workload. And that's really what it came, you know, what, what made us successful. When I really look back and I go, well, you know, there's a lot of teams that work hard and every team at the beginning of the season, you know, everybody's undefeated at the beginning of the year. What makes us, what made us different and, and what could make us different again is the amount of work that we were putting into the process. I never knew I could push my body as much as I did until like about 98 after my first year at UM when Tom Moffitt comes in and we get our first summer workout, you know, and, and we walk into the building and you look at the workout sheet and you're just like, man, uh, eight sets of eight of squat. Wow, that's that's 64 reps. That's a lot. How, how am I going to get through this? Because that's just squats. I mean, there's a, about 11 other exercises that I got to get through this and everything is on a time slot and everything is... And then you start seeing that week one, every time that you squat, you go get some water and you're throwing up on the side of the, 
of the gym, guys would squat, go throw up, come back, be dizzy, and be like, you're up, and get underneath the bar and do it. Well, guess what? You start doing that week one, and you do week two, and then you week, get week three. It's amazing how resilient our bodies are. You just need somebody to be able to push you. That was just in the gym. You go into the meeting rooms, and then you realize that the hour and a half that you had with your coaches to review film wasn't enough. What happens is that leadership starts to take place, and it just takes one or two guys. And it just takes one or two guys to say, you know what, let's come in half hour earlier. Who are those guys? Who are those guys? Who's who, who plants those seeds to take it from an hour and a half with your coach to an hour without your coach? So it's all guys. There's not one particular guy. It's guys within the position group. We were very fortunate in the offensive line group. We had, again, myself, Brett Romberg, Martin Bibla, Brian McKinney, Sherkel. And we all hung out with each other. So it was very easy for, it was like, oh no, we're gonna go hang out here. If just one guy wanted to stay back and watch an hour extra of film, it was hard to watch film without anybody else in the room. Sometimes as a tackle, you just wanna really focus in on the defensive end that you're going against, specifically on your third and long plays. But it would always be hard, not that you were trying to watch film by yourself, but sometimes you want that peace and quiet, you know, just to be able to see it. But it was hard because we all hung out with each other at all, there wasn't this separation within the team. We all live relatively close to the university. We were all roommates with each other. All it takes is that one guy to do it. And then everybody kind of follows along. And then you start winning. Then you start trusting in that process, right? And then it becomes who can do more. And you're already starting at a high level. So it, it, it's so trivial because it's so easy. Everybody, everybody in their life, knows what to do. Success is very, the work required for success is pretty self-explanatory. If you're a logical person, you get it. But very few people are willing to sacrifice what it takes to get it. And that's the difference is once, once the workload was augmented on us, it really kind of sifted through who really belongs and who shouldn't be there. And not a lot of guys from 97, 98, 99 made it. Guys started falling, guys that were on scholarship. And you don't hear those names because you don't know them because they didn't rise to the top. And I think, you know, Coach Cristobal said something which was, to me, it meant everything during, I think it was spring ball, which is like football isn't for everybody. And it is your job as a coach and everybody in that room and everybody in that head center to determine whether you are or you are not a football player. Because Miami is all about winning. It's all about being number one, whether it's in the classroom, on the field. And before we put that product on the field, we need to know that we can count on you. The only way that we're going to truly know if we can is if we push you to your absolute limits every day that you're on that field. We live by that. And we had a great group of guys because what ends up happening is everybody becomes better and the level of competition, which is something that, again, Every coach that has been through, but I think Mario just kind of like really highlights is the level of competition that makes us better is when everybody on that green tree practice field is playing at a high level because you start getting the best out of each other. So when I had the likes of having to go against Andrew Williams, Jerome McDougal, John Square, all those guys, I mean, man, you imagine as Bibla, you know, going against Vince Wilfork, William Joseph every day in practice. Tell me what other three technique he's going to face during the year that's going to be as good as those guys. So it really just kind of 
it hardens you as a player and it, it, it gets you ready for battle. And that's something that there's only one way of going about this. And that is you have to sacrifice. You have to put in the work. And it's tough. It's tough because we live in a society today and not to get political or anything like that, but it, we live in a society where ease, where comfort is celebrated. Believe it or not, today's world, it's a lot easier to be successful when it comes down to hard work because not a lot of people are willing to do it. It really is. Not, not a lot of people are willing to do it. Make this the day your life changes. The all-new UFIT Gyms has been created to give you exactly what you need to accelerate your fitness results, including state-of-the-art equipment and a new cross-functional turf training area. Enjoy personal training as low as $35 and new small group training classes, including HIT Plus. Take it to the next level with personalized nutrition from Eat Love, along with anywhere, anytime access to UFIT on demand with over 1,000 workouts. Reach your goals faster at the new UFIT. Fit gyms. I want to ask you about two guys just from you know being around the program talking to different guys. So one was one is Ken Dorsey. He had he looks a certain way, and then you talk to people, and it's like, nah, that dude is intense, like intense. And I think Antro Rowe was on here. And he's like, I've never seen a guy have a pulse of a team, black, white, old, young. So what was it about Ken? You know, Kenny was the ultimate competitor. Whether you were playing paper, rock, scissors, Madden, NCAA, I mean, Kenny wants to win. And I think everybody wants to win, but to the level that Kenny wanted to win, I mean, it was inherent to him. One of the things that for Kenny, uh, it, when I look at him, and again, we're still very close to this day, deservedly so. I mean, we, you know, took care of him for a very long time. <laughs> you know, that's what, by the way, that's one of like the biggest, you know, they, all the talent on the team. And that's when I was just starting my career, Joaquin, is... I think Kenny, what can he get sacked like less than five times in like the last two years? Like he was upright the whole time. Yeah, he was pretty clean. You know, with Kenny, one of the things that was very evident early on with Kenny is that he was a tremendous student of the game. He is a guy that is a great X's and O's guy. He understood what, and I, you know, my son being a quarterback now and, you know, uh, I really bring Dorsey a lot to his mindset because Dorsey was so smart in taking what the defenses gave him and letting his playmakers make plays. I mean, Dorsey was the king of 10 and 15 yard passes that went for 70 and 80 yards. And again, he was smart. One of the things that when you talk about Kenny, he is the nicest person you will meet. But when it comes down to competition, just know that he doesn't get into any sort of competition without knowing exactly what he wants to do. He's uh, just a work guy. He's a guy that whatever he's going to get into, he would have already analyzed his best routes for success. I mean, that's the way that he is just built. And there's people that are just built a certain way. He's an analytical guy. I remember, you know, when Larry was the OC and and more evident in our last year when Larry had turned into the head coach and Rob Chudzinski took over the reins as offensive coordinator. I mean, the amount of game planning, you know, usually the coaches put the game plan together and they deliver it to the, it wasn't like that for the last about two years, I remember. I mean, Dorsey was in on those game planning meetings. You just knew that Dorsey was going to become a coach uh, one day because he just, he loved the game that much. And I think what made him special was that he saw things that not a lot of people saw on the field because he was kind of like another coach out there. And that gave us confidence. And he was our, you know, he was truly our leader. He was a tall guy, but not imposing. He wasn't a very physical quarterback. But when he opened his mouth, 
I've been told he would open his mouth and get into guys if he needed to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you didn't want that because he did it sporadically. But when he did it, it, would, it, it carried a lot of weight. And what about Mr. Reed? What can I say about my buddy Ed, bro? Uh, Ed is, Ed is like a brother to me. I mean, we we spent so much time off the field together, and I have so many anecdotes of our time together. I mean, you know, a lot of people just see what he is as a player on the field, but to understand why Ed is so good, you got to understand just like the type of person that he is. He is selfless. He is true. Ed is a hard worker, man. He is just, I, I remember in, in multiple occasions, just guys that would get late to like a workout and, and Swayze would say, okay, you're going to, you know, I'm talking about a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there. You would still have to go through the workout. You would have to then after that run 21 10s as your punishment. And I remember in multiple occasions, Ed Reed going, all right, I'm going to go run him with you. He would bring three or four other guys. It wasn't just that one person that got there late. It would be, you know, all of a sudden the whole entire 8 a.m. group was running 2110s because we didn't want to let one of our brothers, you know, doing that. And that puts a lot of weight on that particular person that may have screwed up. You know, when I talk about Reed, I mean, I, I, I remember fondly and I wish that I would have been, we're still brothers to this day and we still hang out. We smoke cigars together, but I wish I would have been on the same team as him for a lot longer. I mean, it's just one of those guys that you just love, brother. I mean, he's he's awesome. He seems genuine. Like, he'll talk to anybody and anyone. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are. He's just the same guy to everybody, and he he seems, like you said, true. He's a true guy. Been around a lot of football players, and everybody has, like, their deficiencies. Like, not deficiencies. Maybe that's, like, the wrong thing to say, but... Sometimes like the very good intense football players aren't good socially to hang out with. They they don't have great conversation. You can't have a beer with them or they only drink water and they're eating, you know, like the liver king on Instagram. They're only eating freaking bone marrow and shit like that. But Ed was the total package, bro. Ed was a guy that you wanted to hang out with on the field, at church, at school, in the classroom. I mean, he was just a guy that you knew it was, you wanted in your corner no matter what you were doing. Very fortunate. And, 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 you know, not to just put it on Ed, because one of the things that made us great is that there was a lot of Ed Reeds. Ed Reeds is the one you know because he's the voice. And, yeah, he was a stud athlete, but there's a lot of guys like that. I mean, when you really look back, you just go down the line. I mean, Dan Morgan, Damian Lewis, James Lewis, Marquise Fitzgerald, on and on on the defensive side of the ball, on the offensive side of the ball. And that's what I was getting at is, like, I don't remember ever hanging out with people outside of our football team for my lifespan here at, at the University of Miami. And I really enjoyed our relationships, like the relationships that we had built inside because we were working so hard and so tough that I don't think anybody outside of our group would understand what we went through. I wanted to spend my time with my Bibla, with my, you know, Romberg and, and the guys that understood and all, we all felt the same. So it's like, I, I don't really recall. And if I, you know, if I was going to the Keys because I had been invited fishing with my brother, I wasn't just going with my brother fishing. It was everybody. How many more people can we fit on the boat? I don't even want to know what would have happened on that boat. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, but so it, it got to the point where sometimes I wouldn't even go fishing. And my brother was, you know, my brother became like really good friends with all of my teammates because they, had, you know, my whole family did because we ended up, being born and raised in Miami, 
you know, we were a second family to a lot of those guys that were from out of state. You know, my mom was a killer cook, man. She was awesome. She, if there's anything that she loved more than to feed somebody was to feed masses of people. So, you know, when you're feeding offensive linemen, she's able to cook, yeah. you know, <laughs> a bunch of food. She, that made her, that made her very happy. Yeah. I'm sure it made the guys happy too. So speaking of your guys, so who's the craziest one of the group? It's a loaded question. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. I, you know, I think that, we had a couple of guys. I mean, crazy, uh, you know, could be defined in many ways. I think that... Your call. Your call. However you want to define it. You know, for, for the offensive line room, and it permeated throughout the whole team, I think that one of the guys that always kept it light and just has a knack for, you know, making everybody laugh, I think it's uh, Brett Romberg. We used to call him Rombozo. Rombozo the clown because there was no off limit subject. <laughs> Very talented. I mean, he could sing, he could play the guitar. So he was, he was always a guy that was kind of like cracking jokes, and it didn't matter if if it was not just the offensive line room, it was, was the, with the DBs, and he commanded a lot of respect because he worked his tail off and he was a great player. So it, it's it wasn't that he was just the jokester. You know, this was a, a tough nosed football player. So. I think Brett, to me, was one of those guys. And then I think every position group had their crazies, crazies in a lot of different respects, whether you were going out to the club, you know, it's like, this is the guy that's going to keep the party going. Or So that was who? That was who? <laughs> man, you're going to put some people on the spot, but people are married and have kids now, man. Uh, <laughs> No. They don't, well, they should know. They should know who they married, right? <laughs> they should know what they were getting into. Now, if, if you wanted to party, Brian McKenney was the guy that you know. Brian McKenney, Ed Reed, you know, they always knew where the hot spots were. You know, it'd be like if you really wanted to go, I'd be like, hey, where are we heading out tonight? You would ask those guys. Uh, so if they wanted to eat, they were coming to the Gonzalez oh, house. No so if doubt. you wanted to go out, you're going with the other. Yeah, guys. no doubt. I think Brian McKenney always, still to this day. I mean, if you know Brian, still to this day, Brian knows how to throw a good party. Okay. Now, what did you think of Brian when he first, because he came in sort of after you guys, when he first walked into the room or first showed up on campus and you're looking at a six, seven, six, eight left tackle, you thought what? Nicest guy. His personality didn't match his body because, again, super nice guy. I still remember, you know, him walking in. He came in, I want to say the spring after my sophomore year, if I recall correctly. And again, really big dude, super impressive when you first see him. He obviously didn't weigh, the, you know, what he ended up weighing towards the end of his career. You know, he was still skinny and lanky. But once you saw him on the field and we got into the first spring practice where he was kind of like live, you know, as a tackle, he was my partner on the line and you could see the talent a mile away. I mean, the guy has a wingspan that he could just put in his hands on you. And that was impressive to see firsthand. I had never been around an offensive lineman that big. By the time I got here, there was another real big guy called Freeman Brown, but he had just graduated when I got here. So I never got to see big guy like that. And, you know, Brian is an imposing figure. You know, it was just the nicest guy, just super just kind of wanting to work. He came from, I think, Lackawanna College, yep. really didn't get a fair shot out of high school, worked his way to get back into, you know, in a prominent school, and uh, I'm glad we got him, man. Change the trajectory of your career or find your new passion. Both are possible at the University of Miami's Division of Continuing and International Education. The division offers over 50 courses with online and hybrid options for on-the-go professionals and busy parents. Visit miami.edu slash DCIE to learn more 
or call our enrollment advisors at 305-284-4000 to discover which course is right for you. So your freshman year was Edron James's big game? Do I have that right? Edron James against UCLA. That was my that was my sophomore year. Okay, your sophomore year. Yeah, but so I I got here in '97, got redshirted. Redshirt, okay. And then in '98, that's when I got my first start. Every time I I talk to kids, I talk about opportunities. I mean, I I finished spring camp as the third tackle. When camp rolls around, I get moved up to the second right tackle, and right like the week getting ready to our first game the two tackles that were slotted as right and left tackle, both of them become academically ineligible to start the very first game because of their academics. And I'm thrust into the starting right tackle spot the very first game that I'm eligible to play after my redshirt year. 49 starts later, two sacks in those 42, 49 starts. Uh, that was my career at UM. Talk about taking taking advantage of your opportunities. I talk about that whenever I talk to kids, my own kids, or you know, being ready. I was so hungry and I wanted to be good. I, I really did. Where's that from? Where where was where did that come from, Joaquin? So I was a late bloomer. I was always a tall kid. Uh, I, I really sprouted between my sophomore and junior year in high school. I think in high school, even though I had scholarships, you know, Louisville, Oklahoma. I mean, I, I always wanted to play at the University of Miami just from growing up down here, you know, going to the Orange Bowl, seeing Mario, Luke Cristobal that were close to the family, seeing those guys. I was like in love with that whole lifestyle. Like I was like, man, I got to I got to run through the smoke. I got to win national championship. So as a kid, you know, that kind of fueled my my goal and my man, my dream to always play at the University of Miami through high school. I really didn't mature as a football player until I got to UM. I had all this untapped potential just because I was just coming into my body. So when I got to UM, you know, it wasn't an easy road. UM was just going through the Pell Grant scandal. They didn't have a scholarship to give me. So I had to walk on. My parents were always sticklers about grades. So I, you know, I didn't even have to pay for my scholarship. I had an academic scholarship, but I wanted an athletic one. I wanted to be recognized for my athletic talents. And that didn't happen until... After my first semester in the spring of my freshman year, when UM regains its scholarships, I get put on scholarship. But, you know, that was kind of like the first big step in going, you know what? People are starting to recognize that I can't play ball. You know, in high school, I wasn't the greatest player. I had all, I, I had all these immeasurables, right? I was six foot six. I was like 205 pounds soaking wet out of a pool. I can move a little bit. I was just coming into my own, but... There was a lot of guys and you know how, you know, how kids could be to each other because it, it happens still to this day. It's like, uh, uh, he ain't that good. Oh, uh, he ain't that good. Well, 49th starts later, drafted into the NFL, you know, I guess I wasn't that good. So. <laughs> Did that eat at you? Because I think there that's the thread. Like there's a desire inside of the greats that's like not for the normal person. Yeah, I think that. Anybody that's been successful has always had doubters and you could either let those doubters creep into your mind and, you know, create that doubt and that anxiety, or you could just have it fuel. I think that I, I've seen a lot of, uh, of, of guys talk and say, you know, I want to thank all the people that made me get here, but I also want to thank the people that didn't believe in me because those are the guys that, you know, when I was down, when I didn't think I could go enough, I'd be like, no. Yes, I can. And I will. I was so busy at my craft and just working 
I look back, I don't think I ever really thought of them through the process, but when you take a moment to breathe and you were at an awards bank where all of a sudden you're like, you know, at the end of the season, you know, I get pulled out of a meeting my my rookie year, my retro freshman year at, the, at UM and the SSID guy is like, hey, just want to let you know that the Big East just named you Big East Rookie of the Year. Congratulations. Only offensive lineman to ever do it. I'm like, How'd they do that? They don't even have stats for offensive line. It's always like all these skill positions. And he's like, congratulations. And I'm just like, oh, wow. You know, that, that, that's that's something pretty nice to brag about. Through the process, I kind of really didn't think about them. But when I had those moments of like success, you kind of sit back and be like. <laughs> I know what you want to say. Shut up. <laughs> I still think to this day, there's a certain level of that in all of us. I think that, you know, in everybody's life, there's doubters. There's people that. You know, you think that they're your friends. I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot of people that are fun to have a good time with, but there's not that many people in your corner. I mean, the people that are truly in your corner, hey, you're blessed if you have a lot of those. But if you have a lot of those, you should really kind of look into that because life isn't meant to have a lot of those people. You know, there, there's a, a select few guys that are truly in your corner and want what's best for you. A lot of people are just envious, and that's that's not me. That's for everybody in your life. In the next guy's life, there's just guys that want what you have, and but they're not willing to work to get it. Just like Joaquin Gonzalez, man, you know how many guys in Miami date alone were just like me when I came out? A ton of them. But there was only one Joaquin because I was willing to put the work. And there was only one Ed Reed. Ed Reed wasn't, he wasn't highly recruited. There was no four, five-star, three-star guy there. None of that. That's, that's a whole different subject nowadays. I mean, it's... It's different. And I think Mario's changing that. Mario's landscape in terms of what he considers a good player is not because somebody else tells him that he's a good player. It's because if, if Mario's going after somebody, trust me, they've done their homework. They've watched film. They know exactly who, what the kid's about. They've talked to the family. They've, they've done their research. When you think of great football and baseball, you think about the you. When you get hurt in a car, truck, or motorcycle wreck, you need to think Lebovic Law Group. At Lebovic Law Group, you come first. We work to get you all the money you are entitled to. Injured? You need to call or click Lebovic. Lebovic Law Group, the exclusive sponsor of the Miami Hurricanes and proud sponsor of all things you. Go you! So your foundation was set at Columbus with with your coach, Mr. Alex Mirabal. And I have heard since I've been, you know, in the nine months they've been here, I'm out in the park. My kid plays football too. And like there's Columbus, everywhere I go, there's guys from Columbus. You guys are everywhere. It's crazy. And they all know Mirabal or, or one of his brothers. And the crazy thing they say about Alex, and I've told them this is, dude, people don't even say you're a great coach. They said you were an awesome teacher, like a teacher in the classroom. They say as a, a civics or social studies teacher, they're like, no, he was the best teacher I had at Columbus. Forget football coach. What makes him a special teacher? And all you, that could be in the classroom or on the field. Well, yeah, I, I think they're both one and the same. I mean, I was very fortunate enough to have him as my offensive line coach my freshman year. Then as JV, he was the O-line coach. And then he moved up to varsity and became my O-line coach. And I played O-line and D-line, but I had him my junior, my senior year. He was also my track coach for, for shot put and discus. And I also had him for American government. And one of the, the number one thing that, that separates Alex from the pack, Coach Mirabaugh, is his relatability to you. 
you know, so when you do talk to him, there's this certain sense of relatability that just some people are just innate with it. You know, some people just relate good to, and, and I've been very fortunate. Alex Mirabal is one of those guys. Swayze, our strength coach, related very well to, to our team. But uh, not to get off topic on Alex, Alex, one of the things that, you know, his relatability was one. Number two, you, you saw that fire in him to, to that he wanted to prove himself. He's not the most imposing guy. He's a short guy. You know, there's a lot of aesthetics and judgment that gets passed on people just on based on their race, what they look like, where they come from. Once you had the opportunity to get coached by this guy, you realize, man, this guy is hungry and he knows what he's talking about. He relates to me. He He's not a guy that chastises you. He's a guy that kind of like walks you through the process and breaks down things for you at a level that I never did. I mean, I... I used to love walking into his classroom because it was a, it was fun. It was fun because he broke down things and he was the analogies that he would use to break down tough subjects. Man, if you didn't understand it, the way that he was pitching it to you, I mean, you, you had issues because it was just, you just wanted to sit there and soak it in. And he was, he commands a presence. So it's like, it's not like a typical classroom where you just sit there and you're, joking around with your, you know, no, you wanted, you really wanted to hear what he was saying because it was very interesting, no matter the subject matter, because that's the way he delivered it. I think when he coaches, you see that intensity. I don't know if you had the opportunity to go out to, you know, the spring practices or training camp or be out there. Uh, every time I go out there, I do nothing but follow the offensive line. That's what I know. That's what I love. When I still watch film to this day, when I watch, you know, games, I may follow the football towards the end of the play. Oh, yeah, it was a pass or great. But I'm constantly looking at the right tackle and right guard box because that's what I play. <laughs> and I love to see how their double teams are. So when I go to practices, I follow Alex around. And, you know, Mario being a former offensive lineman, that's exactly, you know, he takes the tackles. Alex takes the guards and centers. I love going to see them because the intensity that he brings to every single rep there's intent in his coaching that, you know, it's not just like, let's just move on to the next guy and just get the reps, get the reps. No, 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 no. There's true teaching going on while he's in his process. And that's, that's amazing to me. And he hasn't changed. It's exactly the way it was, you know, 25 years ago at Columbus. How proud are you of just his, what he's accomplished being here and just how, how has he grown as a coach? Right. Cause everyone just says he's, Amazing. I love that man, bro. Alex Mirabal to me is I've been very fortunate enough in my career to to have great coaching. I've been around, you know, a lot of coaching staffs. And to me, Alex Mirabal is number one on my list. And Mario is number two. And it's not because they are here. I've been saying this. You look back at my Hall of Fame acceptance speech at the University of Miami before we even knew that Mario. I think Mara was at FIU. I don't even know where he was at the time. But I said, there's, there's been influential coaches in my career. And I thanked Alex, even though he couldn't make it at the time, because he was the guy that taught me how to love this game. And part of the chip on his shoulder for being undersized and being overlooked, I think I, I wanted to help him carry some of that because I kind of, in a way, felt that I was 
you know, that I wanted, that I had that own chip on my shoulders, even though I did have the height and stuff like that. But I, as I spoke to you, I hadn't really developed into the football player that I became. So he was, again, very influential in my life. Number one coach. You go, you, you can only pick one coach that had a mark on your life. Alex Maribel. Well, I know he will always be in my corner and I will always be in his. That guy, it's just, they don't make people like that. Behind the You podcast is brought to you by UFIT Gyms. Train together, win together. Introducing UFIT Gyms as the official fitness center for the Miami Hurricanes. Ready to join them. All it takes is a dollar. Let's go Canes. At the beginning, we talked about Mario and his presence and your utmost belief in him. But can you talk about the first time you met Mario, which I think was like back when you were in high school, if I'm not mistaken, if not younger. Mario's older brother, Luke Cristobal, and my brother graduated uh, in 86 together. So early on in their high school years, you know, me and my brother shared rooms together growing up. So all of his friends would always come in and I was, you know, I'm 10 years younger than Lou and Tony. So they would come into the room and they would always like pick on me and stuff like that. And, you know, I was always kind of like, you know, the little brother, but the little brother that got taken a lot of places. So I, I recall him being around like mid eighties. I mean, that's probably where I first got to know Mario and Lou. And because my brother and, and Mario's older brother, Lou, were such good friends, our family started developing a friendship. So I remember our place in the Keys that my family had for over like 30 some odd years. I mean, I mean, I remember 14, 15 guys sleeping over and, and going fishing. And, you know, I, I grew up around a lot of these guys. Obviously, everybody had their own lives and, you know, and, and kind of went off their way. Once, you know, Lou got to the University of Miami, my brother would go see him play and I would come along. And that's when I was like, oh, wow, man. You know, I wanted to go to the same high school that my brother went to because I thought Columbus was amazing back then. And I always, I would have this vision of me driving my own car to my that high school. And just, it was just a cool environment. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow. And I could go to the University of Miami and be like Lou and play football and run out of the smoke. And I'm really giving you, Truly what like what my childhood dream, how it developed, uh, this is exactly it. So obviously Mara was still at Columbus. Again, I'm still younger than, than Mara. I was nowhere near getting to Columbus by the time Mara was going through his process. And he also went to the University of Miami. And then you had two brothers playing in the same offensive line. I was like, I was just in love with, you know, this storyline and, and being so close to it and being close to the family. And I remember, you know, the W2 parking lot at the Orange Bowl, the tailgates and I was just like, man, this is so awesome. And I am so fortunate that I, I was able to accomplish my goal and, and live out that dream. And because it, it really was exactly like that for me. I remember my family. I remember driving with the team bus and going in front of W2 parking lot as we got to the Orange Bowl. The Gonzalez clan was, you know, like 50 deep there. It was like crazy. It was awesome. To me, Mario, at an early age, you could... You could see the intensity level. Mara was was different than Lou, and in, in, they were very similar in many in many respects, but different in in certain aspects. I think Mara was more a student of the game, of a very analytical guy. He really liked to infuse different you know different sports like jujitsu, and you know it wasn't until Mara came back in '98 to the University of Miami as a grad assistant that he brought in this new technique called Tunches Punches, which is as a- I was gonna ask you, what's, what's it called? Tunches Punches. So Tunches Punches come from a, a offensive lineman, a right tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers called Tunch Ilkin. This guy's an all pro tackle. He actually passed away last year. God rest his soul, but that guy kind of changed offensive line play by infusing martial arts into the pass setting process. 
And Mario has always been a martial arts enthusiast. You know, he did jujitsu growing up. I think he did karate. So when he came back in 98, he brought this whole entire program, which is called Tunches Punches, which it kind of, as an offensive lineman, you're always taught shoot your hands. This Tunches Punches, it really kind of tells you, well, you just, you have two hands and they're independent of each other. So you don't necessarily have to shoot both hands. You could, you know, you could shoot one hand and replace the other, depending on what the defensive line. So it kind of gets you thinking that that warrior mentality, it's like, you know, you're, you're not a generic, you know, two punch guy to everything that you're going to see. You know, sometimes you have to change it up and how you replace and how you counteract, you know, pressure against pressure, whether you sit back on it, how you drop. So all of this process was stuff that we did not have in 97 as I'm being redshirted. Mario comes in 98 in that fall, you know, we would go out probably 10, 15 minutes before practice started as an offensive line unit and just start lining up and doing. And that became our pre-practice work for, you know, for as long as I can remember, for at least the remaining four years that I was there. And I remember that it stayed on there for a very long time. I don't know if that went away when when our keyhole left, but I do know that a lot of the guys don't do much of that stuff through this process. I know they're starting to do it again and just kind of train their hands and really become warriors with their hands. And that was, again, I think that made a tremendous difference. If you look at Tunchokin, he was an all pro tackle. I think he was like six foot four, six foot five, didn't weigh more than 240 pounds at offensive line. And by, by that time, by, by the time he played offensive line was already getting bigger. Guys were 300 plus or 300 pounds around that area. So this guy had so much technique in his hands and Mario brought that. Mario's a technician. Mario is, like I said, a student of the game. He understands what he knows. He understands what he doesn't know. And that is, that is key because he's, he knows to bring guys that do know him, to bring guys that can teach. And again, you can tell I'm excited, man, because there's, this guy is he's, he's a special cat, special cat. This is a loaded question because you can't say no, but I, I, I'm going to guess you believe in your heart. What everyone wants to happen will happen under his watch at some point. I think so. I think there is no doubt that he will work this team into a team that is deserving of the process. Now, whether those teams maximize or take advantage of those opportunities, it ultimately comes down to those players. Mario's not playing. He can only put those guys in the position, you know, to, to, to be successful and give them a great game plan and get them ready for the season. But ultimately, it has to be the players that perform. You look back at our 2001 National Championship season. We're at Boston College. Everybody knows the play where Matt Walters gets the pick and Ed Reed takes it. I mean, that needs to happen. You know, Mario could get us to that game. But Mario's not going to make the pick. Mario's not going to pull that pick and make sure that that game gets put away. So I don't know if I, if you understand what I mean by that. I mean, ultimately, it's going to come down. And, and that will naturally take care of itself as they recruit high character, high motor, intelligent football players. And they develop those guys. They will be new Ed Reeds. They will be new guys telling the team to dominate. As much as I love Joaquin said Dominic, that's great. It's wonderful. But that was 20-some-odd years ago, bro. We need, we need something fresh. We need something new. Mara, it's coming. It's coming because it, there will be no stone left unturned. There will be no, 
ice cream breaks at practice. There will be no celebration of mundane tasks that should be, they're throwing Gatorade in the locker room after beating teams that you should be. Not going to happen with Martin. It's like you win, move on to the next. You're like, man, but that sounds kind of like boring. You're not going to celebrate. You know how you celebrate? Win. You win, women look better, food tastes better. You don't hurt as much. The other day, my son threw an unbelievable pass and he got, he plays quarterback and he got hit as he was throwing and got pile driven to the ground. Like it was a, a, a tough to watch, but he throws a wheel route to the running back and it ends up being a 70 yard pass touchdown uh, against American heritage. And, you know, after the game, I'm like, man, that, that was a tough hit. He goes, yeah. I'm like, did it hurt? I asked him and he goes, yeah, a little bit. I'm like, I guarantee you it didn't hurt as much because he threw it for a touchdown. <laughs> if you wouldn't have thrown it for a touchdown, you would have thrown it for a pick, you'd probably be hobbling and feeling sorry for yourself. But since, you know, you kind of got up from the ground when everybody was cheering, you saw the touchdown, you're like, you know, put out that chest a little bit, like, yeah, I can take that hit. Give me another one, you know? That's the attitude that, that makes winning football teams, man. Yes, you need the talent. Talent isn't everything, man. It's the work ethic. Work ethic out trumps talent. At the end of the day, because talented guys will get tired. And talented guys have been told they're talented for a very, very, very long time. And that's their own worst enemy. Is when you got guys that, you know, since freshman year in high school, they're like, oh, this guy's a five-star. This guy's a five-star. It's the worst thing that can happen to kids. It's the worst thing. Worst thing. Because it softens them. Very few have the intestinal fortitude or very few have the right network around them to tell them, don't believe it. Don't believe it because you end up playing at Florida Memorial. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but there's a ton of four or five-star guys playing at colleges and D3 schools that were all world. But where are they now? doesn't matter what star you are. Very simple. There's the right way, the wrong way of doing things. The right way takes a lot of energy. All right. I think we'll end it on that, my friend. Although I would probably have you do this another – I could probably get you going another two hours if I wanted to, I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's a, it's something that I'm passionate about. Obviously, I love the University of Miami. It's just to me, it's um, it's a big part of my life, and I, I'm excited. I'm excited for for everything that that we have coming to us. All right, Joaquin, thanks for taking us behind you. We appreciate it. I think your excitement will translate to the audience, to the fans, and of course, I don't. There's plenty of it around the program, and and I think it's good for everybody, right? It's it's good to have this feeling. I think I, I said it on the pregame. There's always hope. I think now there's belief. There's belief yep. that this canon will happen with time. Yep. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Joaquin. See you, buddy. Go Canes, baby. Go Canes. Let's do it.